to the Veritas Mizzou podcast. Veritas is the college ministry of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. Our greatest hope is to see more and more college students believe that Jesus is more. To get connected, check out our weekly meeting on Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. on Mizzou's campus. For specific details about where we meet, how to join a small group, or more information about Veritas, visit us online at veritasmizzou.com. To stay in the loop with what we're up to, follow Veritas Mizzou on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you're encouraged by this message. Hey, uh, some of you some of you know the name Andrew Carnegie. Some of you don't, that's all right. Andrew Carnegie was a Scottish-American industrialist. He was a business mogul and philanthropist. The late 19th century, Andrew Carnegie led the expansion of the American steel industry and eventually becomes one of the richest Americans in history. It wasn't always that way, though. In fact, Carnegie grew up quite poor. He, he was born in a stone cottage in Scotland, and his family had little financial means. To make matters worse, during his childhood, Scotland was going through an economic crisis and starvation was, was ravaging the country. And so struggling to survive, the, the Carnegie family, they, they eventually borrow some money and, and they, they flee to the United States in hopes of finding a better life. The only problem is it didn't happen overnight. In fact, life in the U.S. was quite hard for quite some time. So much so that, that Carnegie, years later, he's recounting a story of his mom, and, and he recounts the story, and he says, I remember a time when my mom was sobbing in our Pennsylvania house. She was sobbing in a moment of despair. And what I remember about that moment, he says, is, is cradling in her in his arms, urging her not to cry as he tries to console her. And then he says to her, he says, Mom, someday I'm going to be rich. Someday I'm going to be rich and will ride in a fine coach driven by four horses so everyone can see. So everyone can see. And he says his mom, holding back tears for the moment, looks at him in the eyes and says, what good is that going to do us if no one from home sees us? What good is it going to do? What good will a grand parade? What good will enormous wealth? What good is it all if no one from home sees us? See, it wasn't enough for her to have those things. She wanted to be seen with them. A parade in front of strangers, that was one thing. But, but getting the praise, getting the approval of the people from her hometown in Scotland, that was altogether different. Why? Well, because she wanted others to know. She wanted those people to see that her family had finally made it. That they had finally made it. See, what others think about us, what others see in our lives, it's often a pretty big deal to us, isn't it? I remember a time uh, I was here in town, I was at a coffee shop, and uh, I remember getting my coffee, and I go over and I sit at a table, I grab my book, and just as I'm sitting down, I look and there's a college student at, at a nearby table. Don't worry, it's none of you. Um, and, and the reason that it caught my, he caught my attention is because the dude's like straight up doing a photo shoot with his coffee in this book at his table. Now, I'm not talking like the obligatory selfie that we kind of all do sometimes, right? No, I'm talking multiple pictures. Some selfies, some not selfies. Some with pictures like with his coffee next to the book. Some with like his coffee behind the book. Some with like his coffee on top of the book. 
right? And then he, he, he starts messing with the book. He, he turns it on its side. He stands it up. He kind of leans it, right? As if, like, that's not enough. Then he's like, okay, I got to get different angles. Now, I'm watching all this, which might be creepy, but it's just entertaining me, so I'm going with it. Right, so then he starts taking photos from the top, from the side. I swear he gets like table level. Dude's just getting it, right? And so finally he gets the photo he wants. And then what does he do? Oh, he, Instagram, right? Naturally. He pulls out Instagram, opens the app. He loads that photo, starts messing with it, adding filters, editing, doing all his thing. Then he moves to the caption. Now, this is really creepy because I'm still watching him. He's like typing, deleting, typing, deleting, typing, deleting. Finally gets to the way that he wanted it. And now he can post, right? And this is where it gets particularly good for me at least. He posts a photo, he puts his phone down, he looks around for a little bit, kind of people watching, and then he decides, I guess, that hey, I might as well read this book. So he opens the book, he kind of flips through the pages, not really reading, just skimming, maybe at best. I promise you 30 seconds at most. Skimming, then he closes it, done. Gets up with his coffee and leaves. Now, 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 he spends 10 minutes, 10 minutes at least, getting this photo, posting it on Instagram, and he spends 30 seconds flipping through the pages of this book, skimming it, not even reading it. Now, guess what the book was? It was his Bible. It was his Bible. Now, it's ironic, isn't it? Instead of taking the time, instead of spending the time to read God's word, he used it as a prop to be seen on social media. He used his Bible and a coffee to get a little praise, to get the approval of his followers. Now, I don't know that guy. I'm sure he's a great dude, probably loves Jesus, and obviously it's not wrong to post a picture of a latte in your Bible on Instagram. That's not my point. right? I share that story because I think on some level we can all relate. On some level, I think all of us can relate to that guy in that coffee shop because I think all of us in one way or another, we all spend time curating an image of ourselves. We all spend time filtering our lives for other people to see. Filtering our lives, what they see and what they can't see. I'm not a huge fan by any means of hers, but I was reading the other day about Kim Kardashian and I read, I see someone clapping in the back, that's cool, uh, I read that, that once she took 1,200 selfies in one day. Maybe you know that. You're a bigger fan than me. I didn't. 1,200 selfies in a day. Why? I just couldn't help myself. I had to keep reading, right? Because apparently, because apparently to Kim Kardashian, that's the number of selfies she needed in order to get just the right one that everyone would go nuts after once she posted it. 1,200 selfies in one day. That's insane, Right? but I think it also reveals something. I think it also reveals something. I think that it reveals that, that we want what social media can give us. We want the promise that social media makes to us, the ability to carefully edit, the ability to filter, the ability to show the best version of ourselves to the people around us, or at least a version of, of ourselves that we want people to see. See, we all spend time curating that image. We all spend time filtering our lives. Maybe social media isn't your thing. But think about it. We spend in America alone billions of dollars a year on, on clothing and makeup, on weight loss programs, on self-help remedies. 
Curating that image of ourselves, filtering our lives. It's why we spend countless hours in the gym. It's why we humble brag, right? It's why we act one way around one group of people, but we act differently around a different group of people. It's also why sometimes we do things that we don't even really want to do, if we're honest. See, we all spend time curating that image of ourselves for other people to see. I I for sure do it. There there are so many stories that I could share, and my wife could share even more. I'll share at least one. It's an embarrassing one. Uh, Some of you heard it a few years ago I shared this. But um, when I was in high school, I had the chance to go to a Young Life camp. If you don't know what Young Life camp is, at least at the time I was there, what feels like decades ago, because it was decades ago. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's a Christian ministry for, for, at the time, high school kids, right? Um, and camp, camp in particular is this incredible experience, this week-long experience. We were in Georgia. Um, like many Christian camps you guys have been to, you do all these crazy things during the day, and then at night, you, you listen to a speaker give a talk um, about Jesus, about the Bible, about our lives, you know, that sort of deal. And then after these talks, you would go back usually to a cabin or something like that and break up into smaller groups of guys and girls and discuss what the talk was about. Well, for most people, the, the, the last night of camp in particular is, is powerful because it's the, it's the night that the camp speaker always kind of focuses on, on the forgiveness that we have in Jesus, Right, and, and most of the students at this camp, myself included at the time, had, had never heard of the things that this speaker was talking about. And so I remember this, this last night of this camp, after the talk, my, my group of friends, our cabin, we go back uh, to, to our cabin and, and we start talking about these things. We start talking about what the speaker said. And one by one, keep in mind, 16-year-old dudes, right, um, and my friend group, we're athletes, so we're not like overly emotional or, you know, feely, that kind of thing. Not that that's bad or wrong. But one by one, my friend group, I start to see them start opening up. And one by one, these guys start sharing some, some really heavy things going on in their lives. And, and then something strange, at least strange to me, happens. Um, before I know it, all of my friends are crying in this cabin. Right now, I'm not talking like kind of hiding a, you know, like bros like hiding a tear, that sort of thing. I'm talking like, like legit sobbing, like ugly cry for a dude, right? And then, as, as if that's not strange enough, at least to me when I'm a 16 year old, uh, they like, all, we're all still in our bunks at this point, but, but they all in unison kind of get out of their bunks and they come to the middle of the room and, and there's just like this giant bro hug, right? 16 year old dudes, 10 or 12 of them, just hugging each other, crying the whole thing, right? And, and I, I'm gonna be completely honest, I'm watching from my bunk bed, I'm like, this is crazy. Like, what the heck is happening? What is going on? That's what I'm thinking to myself, but you know what's really interesting? Is at the exact same time I'm thinking this is insane, I'm also realizing I'm the only one still in my bed. And, and as I realize I'm the only one still in my bed, I start to think, I don't really like that. I don't really like that I'm the only one in my bed right now. All these other guys, as bizarre as it was, were having this kind of moment. And so what do I do? This is the embarrassing part. I literally start faking crying. I'm not even kidding. Like sobbing, whimpering, like making noise. I'm, I'm, I'm legit faking crying. And then I get out of my bed because I got to join the bro hug, right? And so there I am. Just standing amongst a group of dudes trying to fit in by pretending to cry at a camp in Georgia. I mean, it's weird. You can laugh at me. It's embarrassing. Why do we spend so much time 
Why do we spend so much time trying to curate an image of ourselves? Why do we spend so much time trying to filter our lives? Well, it's because we care so much about what other people think about us. We want their affirmation. We want their praise. We want to feel like we belong. We want to be accepted, and so we crave their approval. Now, get this. It's not bad to want approval. Hear me say that up front. It's not bad. That, that longing, that, and I'll call it a longing, that, that we all have, that desire to, to be affirmed for who we are, that want to be accepted, that, that want to, be, to belong, None of that's wrong. In fact, we see God doing that with Jesus. God affirms his own son. Jesus, at the very beginning of his public ministry, he comes to a dude, uh, a guy named John, and and he comes to him to be baptized. And and this is what we read about Jesus' baptism in Matthew chapter three, picking up in verse 16. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, The heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I'm well pleased. This is my beloved Son, with whom I'm well pleased. You see, God the Father affirms Jesus. God the Father affirms his Son, He affirms him with powerful words of approval. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And so if God delights to approve of his son, it can't be. It can't be that wanting approval is a problem. It can't be that wanting approval is the fundamental problem at least. Then what's the problem? What's the problem? Well, the problem is that you and I often look to get that affirmation. We look to get that praise. We look to get that sense of belonging. We look to get that approval in the wrong places. See, we look to people instead of God. We care more about what people think than what God thinks. We care more about disappointing people than disappointing God, right? And because we care more about disappointing people, and because we care more uh, about what people think than what God thinks, you and I have an approval idol. We have an approval idol. Now, we call it different things, right? Some people say it's, it's being a people pleaser. Maybe you've heard that. Others say it's, it's being an approval addict. Some ha- say that it's, it's being a yes man or a, a yes woman. You can't ever say no. You say yes to everything. It doesn't really matter what you call it because the root is all the same. The root issue is the same. We turn a good thing, that desire for acceptance, that desire to belong, that desire for approval, it's a good thing, but we turn it into a bad thing by looking for it, by looking for that approval in the wrong places. And so before long, we start worshiping people more than we're worshiping God. And to steal a a, a cheesy book title from the 90s, we make people big and we make God small. See, is that ever true in your life? I mean, if you're really honest with yourself, is that ever true in your life? You care more about what people think of you than what God thinks of you. People are big in your life and God is small. It, it was for sure true of a group of people, at least, in, in Jesus' day. We'll read about them in the Gospel of John here in a sec. But, but this is a group of people who had heard Jesus' teachings. 
They'd, they'd experienced Jesus' ministry. They'd, they'd seen and they'd, they'd heard about Jesus' miracles. Turning water into wine, healing the blind and the lame, feeding thousands with, with a couple fish and some bread, walking on water. They, they, they'd, they'd, they'd heard of. They'd seen, they'd experienced Jesus' power. They'd experienced Jesus' authority, both over the physical but also the spiritual world. And yet, in spite of all of that, in spite of all of that, something kept them back from publicly professing faith in Jesus. Something held them back. What was it? Let's look at John chapter 12, picking up in verse 42. Yet at the same time, many among the leaders believed in him, these people. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. Catch this. For they loved human praise more than praise from God. And so John tells us that that people in Jesus' day are starting to become convinced. They're starting to, to believe that Jesus really is who he said he was. But, big but, because of the Pharisees, they hold back. I know I said big butt, right? Now, remember from a few, I see some of you laughing, that's why I gotta acknowledge it. <laughs> remember from a, a few weeks ago, the Pharisees, who were they, right? The Pharisees, they're, they're an influential group of Jews. They're the influential group of religious leaders in Jesus' day. And this particular group of, of religious leaders, they hold power, they hold a lot of authority over people. And because of that, people are often afraid to oppose them. And so in this case, John tells us that these specific people, they cared more about what the Pharisees thought than what Jesus thought. They cared more about disappointing the Pharisees than disappointing Jesus. Why? Well, because John tells us because they loved human praise more than praise from God. You see, these people in John chapter 12, they have an approval idol, and it prevented them from following Jesus. You guys remember the, uh, the, the dude from the old Verizon, Verizon commercial? Actually, I think he works for Sprint now, but, but whatever. Um, you know what I'm talking about, right? The guy that kind of walks around place to place. He says, can you hear me now? And something gets in the way. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Blah, blah, blah. There are lots of things that get in the way. There are lots of things in our lives that get in the way of hearing and following Jesus. There are lots of things in our lives that get in the way of hearing and following Jesus. Some are silly, but some are quite serious. And Jesus is saying tonight that having an approval idol isn't silly. It's serious. Look at what he says in John chapter 5, verse 44. Speaking to a group of people, and he says, How can you believe since you accept glory from one another but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. You catch what Jesus is saying there. According to Jesus, you and I can't believe. You and I can't grow. You and I won't follow Jesus if we want people's praise, if we want people's acceptance, if we want people's approval of us more than we want his. They loved human praise more than praise from God. Is that you? If you're honest with yourself, is that you? They loved human praise more than they loved praise from God. I told our, our uh, Veritas staff team this yesterday. We were, before our staff meeting, we were kind of going around sharing with each other 
uh, different things that we could pray for each other. We, we try and pray for each other uh, often. And, and, and I shared with them, I said, you know, anytime I preach a sermon, I try and first preach to myself. Right? I don't want to just speak at people. I need to speak to myself. And, and, and sometimes, I said, sometimes sermons that I preach or, or things that I write, they, they hit me harder than others. Not necessarily because it's a better sermon per se, but, but because the topic is challenging to me. This is one of those sermons for me. It's one of those sermons for me because, see, I, I used to be someone that said, I, I don't care about what people think about me. I'm not really threatened by other people's opinions. I don't really need other people's approval. That's for some people. It's just not my thing. But if I'm really honest, over the last several years, God has slowly been revealing to me that those statements were about as fake as me crying at Young Life Camp. It's a joke. Because if you let me be honest for a second, as much as I don't want to admit it, sometimes I'm desperate for the approval of people. Sometimes I really, really, really want people to acknowledge me. Sometimes I want people's respect. I want others to think I'm important. Sometimes I really want you guys to think that I'm a big deal. And so lately I've been learning about that and and I just need to be honest with you guys and be the first to admit I have an approval idol. I'm talking to myself. But maybe you do too. Maybe you're like me. Maybe you too have an approval idol. How do you know? How do you know? Well, here's some questions to help ask yourself. Do you often give in to peer pressure? Do you often give in to peer pressure? Are you overcommitted? Meaning you can't ever say no. Do you find yourself constantly overanalyzing, constantly second-guessing decisions that you make because you're afraid of what people will or won't think of you? Do you get easily embarrassed? We all get embarrassed, but do you get easily embarrassed? Do you fear rejection? Nobody likes being rejected, but, but do you especially fear rejection? Is criticism from other people especially difficult for you to receive? Do you find yourself frequently comparing yourself to others? Do you find yourself often jealous of other people? Do you celebrate the successes of your peers? Do you celebrate the the successes of people that you look up to? Or do you inwardly compete with them? Here's another one. Are you afraid of sharing your faith in Jesus because of what others might say or think about you. Now, if you didn't find yourself on that list anywhere, you might need to check your pulse, right? That's because all of us, all of us care about what other people think about us. It's, it's one of those things, right? It's one of those things that we, we, like, we cognitively know, hey, we're not supposed to really care. We know that we really shouldn't, but we do. We can't help it. We want acceptance. We want praise. We want approval because we have an approval idol. Now, we might not say it with our lips, but we say it with our lives. We want what we can get from people more than what we can get from God. Now, who are those people in your life? Who are those people 
Who's the praise, who, who are the people that, that you want praise from, that you want acceptance, that, that you want to be affirmed by? Who are those people in your life? See, for, for those in John chapter 12, who was it? It was the Pharisees, right? They wanted the approval of the religious leaders of their day. But what about you? See, put that verse back up on the screen. John chapter 12, verse 42. If we replace um, just the word Pharisees there with some other word, if we replace Pharisees with some other word or, or, or some other person and then that verse described your life, what would it say? Because of the classmates. Because of the friends. Because of the sorority sister or fraternity brother. Because of the family member. Because of the professor. Because of the boyfriend or the girlfriend. Because of the who. Whose praise do you love more than God's? Be honest with yourself. More importantly, be honest with God. But there's another side to the approval coin, right? One side of the coin is loving the approval of people over God, but, but the other is, is the fear of losing something. What did, what did they fear losing in John chapter 12? Go back to that verse. It says, they feared being put out of the synagogue. What are you afraid of? How would you fill that in? What are you afraid of losing? Afraid of losing someone's respect? Afraid of losing a relationship? Afraid of losing social status. Afraid of being rejected by your peers or someone you really respect. Afraid of feeling like you don't belong. Afraid of feeling like you aren't good enough. What are you afraid of losing? Be honest with yourself, be honest with God. See, what I want us to realize tonight is that our approval idol, it's always, always, always going to keep us dependent on what other people think about us. It's always going to enslave us to people's opinions about us. People's opinions, which, by the way, are going to let us down at some point. People are going to let us down. But even more than that, Jesus says that our approval idol, it's a sin, and it gets in the way of following him. Our approval idol is getting in the way of following Jesus. Do you think it's that serious? Because Jesus does. So how do we fight against it? How do we stop living for the approval of other people? Well, here's what I've been learning lately. That struggle, our struggle, it doesn't just go away. It's a daily fight. But here's the deal with daily fight. You can't just try harder. You can't just tell yourself to do better. You can't just tell yourself to stop it. You can't, you won't find the strength within yourself to fight. You see, fighting the sin of having an approval idol, it's not as simple as fixing a behavior. I need, we need, we all need something more. We need the gospel to change our hearts. We need the gospel to change our hearts. See, I know that, that approval from other people, it might get applause from the crowd. I know that it might give us that quick endorphin burst that we think we want. But here's the deal. 
Approval from other people is never going to give us what we really want. And what we really want is approval. What we really want is acceptance. What we really want is to be affirmed. What we really want to belong. We want to be approved forever, right? We want approval that lasts, not approval that fades. And that's exactly what we have in Jesus. That's exactly what we have in Jesus. The Apostle Paul, he writes in Galatians 3, chapter 3, verse 26. He says, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. And so what, what Paul is saying is that all who have faith in Jesus are sons and daughters of God. We have been adopted into the family of a loving and gracious Father in heaven who, get this, delights to shower us with his approval, delights to shower us with affirmation, delights to shower us with praise. And so what helps us overcome the fear of what other people think about us? What helps us overcome our love for people's praise instead of God's? What's remembering and reflecting on God's promises? Promises like these, God's promise that, that he's not going to withhold anything good from those who trust in him. Psalm 84 verse 11 Promises that, that, that in Jesus we will not lack, Psalm 34, verse 9. Promises that we can trust God by depending on what he says about us, Isaiah 50, verse 10. What does he say about us? He says that he loves us with an everlasting love, Jeremiah 31, 10. God says that he rejoices. He rejoices over you with singing, Zephaniah 3, 17. God says that, that we're washed clean, Isaiah 1.18. He says we're forgiven in Jesus, 1 Peter 2.24. He says that we're righteous because of Jesus. We're a new creation in Jesus. We're a sweet aroma to God. We're co-heirs with Christ. We're set apart for God's possession in Jesus. You see, human approval, it pales. It pales in comparison to what God says about us. So why do we seek approval when we have all the approval and praise that we'll ever need in Jesus? Why do we seek it from other people when we have all that we'll ever need in Jesus? One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 139. Maybe you're familiar with it. If you're not, I'm gonna read some of it right now. Here's what it says. It says, you've searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a, tongue, before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes, they saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them, before a single one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake, I'm still with you. I'm still with you. See, as the music team comes up, let me just close. Let me close by asking a question. 
Who knows you like that? Like the psalmist in Psalm 139. Who knows you like that and still accepts you? Who knows the depths of your life and still affirms you? Who knows everything, everything about you and still approves of you? It's Jesus. Jesus, the one who made you, the one who chose you, the one who redeemed you, the one who adopted you, the one who called you, the one who's sending you out into the world to play a part in the story that he's telling. See, Jesus in the gospel, it frees us from faking. It frees us from pretending. It frees us from putting up facades. It frees us from from having to curate an image of ourselves and filtering our lives for others to approve of us. See, I know some of you have a really hard time believing it because I've talked to you, but it's true. Jesus loves you. Jesus likes you. Jesus approves of you, and he's pleased with you as you live your life for him. So as an author once said, he, he said, we're all living for some audience. Every single person, we're all living for some audience. That's not a question. The question is, what audience are we living for? What audience are you living for? Are are you living for the audience of people? Are you living for the audience of Jesus? See, live for Jesus because Jesus is more. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Veritas Mizzou podcast. If you were encouraged by this message, please be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This helps other people find our content so that they can be encouraged too. Most importantly, to get connected to Veritas, check out our weekly meeting on Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. on Mizzou's campus. For specific details about where we meet, how to join a small group, or more information about Veritas, visit us online at veritasmizzou.com. To stay in the loop with what we're up to, follow Veritas Mizzou on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks again for listening.